This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Hello, and this is Phil Leahy, believe it or not, for the second time. I just said such a nice speech, yep. and Lou told me, yep. take two. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm in here. I'm uh, filling in for Cole tonight. Uh, she works like a dog, and uh, I think I talked her into taking off a, a much-needed night off. And, uh, you know, to hopefully she can just sit back and uh, kick her feet up. So, uh, as I was saying, uh, I know everybody's concerned about the, uh, the pandemic, uh, and rightly so. Don't get me wrong. I, I've, I've lost people that I've known, uh, even uh, uh, family members that we've lost to this. But the unfortunate thing is, for the last year, uh, <clears throat> the other epidemic, uh, substance abuse, has been put on the back burner. And it's very concerning to me because what a lot of people don't understand is there has been a surge in that also. So uh, I know um, groups like uh, Coles and, and these guys here, uh, you know, we're doing our best to do the outreach to help those in need. And hopefully in a short time when times are a little bit normal, uh, we'll be able to pick up the pace. I know uh, we at MVPA SAP are looking forward to, uh, you know, getting into uh, our outreach, uh, doing our, our live meetings and so forth like that. But that being said, the reason I love this show and always have is because unlike when you do hear things in the media about substance abuse, it's usually negative. Somebody who died of an overdose or so forth, so forth. You know, a big bust of drugs and whatever like that. Well, on this show here, uh, we show that there's a lot of success stories. And that, I think, gives a lot of people hope. Not just the addict, and uh, not just the one in recovery, but I think a lot, and I can speak for myself, is the families. So, uh, I'm going to introduce my guests. First, I have Louie, who is going to co-host with me. And uh, we have Hazel's here. And he's got a good story. And I'm going to just kind of start off by asking him a few questions. And we'll kind of work through the story. Uh, remember, this is a live show. If you want to call in, the number's there. Love to hear from you. You want to have a question or if you uh, just want to say hi uh, if you want to tell me to shut up, you can do that, too. Okay? All right. So, this is Jesus. And, uh, you know, uh, how old are you, Jesus? 39. 39, which is pretty young. Well, of course, even Lou's young to me. but uh, <laughs> I but love the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Jesus, how old were you when you started to get involved with drugs, and and what what kind of dragged you into that life? I would say I was about thirteen years old That's when I first. And started. you want to know something? That's the norm. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. sad is that? Mm. Okay, go ahead. What led me to drugs was my mother. My mother was a drug dealer. Okay. You know? Oh, a drug dealer? So, yeah. So wow. She was a drug dealer and she became an addict after. Mm -hmm. But uh, at that age, I was um, I was watching all 
all the preparation, the drugs being backed up in the sure, room, you sure. know. And I was always curious, you know. I always seen a lot of people in my mom's room, so I was sneaking through the door. Yeah. And my mom, you know, she would let me in. And um, every time somebody knocked at my house, my house was a trap spot, you know. That's where wow. people went to buy drugs. Sure, and sure. When um, they would um, knock on the door, my mom would give me the drugs to bring to the door. Oh, my goodness. That's how, that's yeah. how I learned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, wow. I said, you know, it was interesting. It was quick money. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. it was a different phase, but it was it was normal to my parents. Sure. You know what I mean? Because that's what she did her whole life, you know? And uh, when she was teaching me that, that trade, and um, I'm going back and forth every time somebody knocked, I'll bring the drugs, they'll give me, I wouldn't even see them half the time. Right. I would open, they would just hand the money, right. I would hand the drugs, bring them back. You know, then, it's crazy, you said she was teaching you a trade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I drive a school for the Greater Lawrence Tech, <laughs> I don't think they offer that trade. <laughs> no, they, uh, no they I don't, don't think so. They don't, uh, okay. it was just, um, it was different. It was, yeah, and you know, I mean, I mean, you, you had two strikes against you right from the get-go, didn't <sighs> you? Right, I mean, I started off, you know, rough, but what I didn't understand was that um, while she was telling me to do these things, she would always try to lecture me at the same time uh -huh. to um, stay in school, you know, to do this and do this right. But I said, how are you going to ask me to do things right when you don't do things right, yeah. you know? And that's when she would get up and slap me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> she was tough like that, you know, but it was just... Um, Gotta follow by example, but at that it, it attracted me, sure. you know. And it was the the chaos, the loud, the party, and the noise. Right. We would like my house. There was no sleeping. It was now, always now. Tell me something. Now at this time here, have you started using? No, not yet. Not yet. I used to um, sneak in the room um, and taste like my stepfather's cigarettes. Then I would take his beers. And that's how I learned, you know what I mean? And then, I learned the same thing when yeah. I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, so I was just curious on yeah, it. And sure. then um, I just kept, um, every time like, like my mother would, would give me drugs, I said, you know what, I want to make my own money. Okay. So I would take half of it out, and then I started making money on my own. Uh -huh. That's how I learned. So yeah. I would dip in everything she gave me to go bring to the door. So when she was bagging up, she'll leave the room. I'll take some, and I started bagging it. So when she said, "Go to the door to bring this," and I'll go up, like the guy left, but I would sell him the stuff I had. Oh, you know? okay. And that's okay. how. So I started at an early age, yeah. saving my own money. You know, buying sneakers, buying clothes and things like that so that's how i learned i started hustling at an early age you know what is it with uh people that have uh, drug addiction and sneakers <laughs> oh it connects I, I, it does. <laughs> I, I, you know i, I mean I, I see these guys they don't have a part to piss in but no. i'll tell you they got the it's best the sneakers nicest, yeah. the nicest yeah. sneakers yeah. Yeah. and that's what matters and the rest of the outfit didn't really matter that's right yeah, what yeah. really mattered was the sneakers okay. and the hat you know all right okay so now you've learned your trade and right. actually you've one up your mom on how to do this business now yeah. actually yeah. all right so let's progress now now that you're you're learning how to make some quick money to oh. buy the new sneakers, we didn't we didn't entice you to start using it, knowing what it would do to you. Why did you uh, take that next step? I took that next step. Um, was out of pain, you know. Okay. Um, out of the pain um, that I had towards my mother, 
like I hated my mother with a passion, you wow. know, and um, the reason I hated her was because um, I was like the black sheep of the family. Okay. I was the youngest, but I'm the one that always got hit the most. Okay, so you had brothers and sisters? I did. I'm, I'm this six of them. Six? Seven with me. Seven? Wow. So Seven. I got four. Um, and you were the baby. I am. Okay. But I always got treated the worst. Really? You know? That's unusual. It is. And every time she had a bad day or something bad, um, she would call my caseworker, send me to get locked up. What? So while I was in jail, I would build so much rage sure, towards her, sure. you know, and um, it was like I had my mother in my life at a young age, but I didn't, you know. Yeah. I yeah. was always like pushed away. I was always um, got beat up by every stepfather I had, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. as growing up, I grew that rage and I said, when I get bigger, that guy's gonna get it, you know. And well, you definitely got bigger. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and by the time um, I, I I got arrested at, at juvenile detention center, mm -hmm. and um, when I came out and met, saw my stepfather, he tried to put his hands on me again, and that's the last time he did that, oh, okay. you know. Because at 14, mm -hmm. I was a big kid, you know, yeah. and I came out of DYS to win like a year and a half, and I beat him up severely. You know, and my mom's like, she snapped. Oh, you know, she started flipping out at me, and I looked at her with so much rage. I said, "You're my mom, but you're not gonna put your hands on me." You yeah, know. Yeah. Said, so and um, I just started that day. I walked out the house and saw my older brother, and while he was in the porch, I knocked him out. Wow. <laughs> knocked him out. I just had so much rage towards my family because yep. the way they were treated differently, because they were all in the getting high club you know so they all got high together yeah. so they were all like favorite in the group you know sure, and, sure. and um i just grew up so much rage and that's when i started drinking it's the first yep. thing i did where i got heavier right, drinking. right so the money i was getting i would send somebody to the liquor store mm -hmm. to buy me a uh, mad dog 2020. <laughs> mad and dog 2020. that's all i drunk right there Jeez. you know so i started drinking that and, uh, was and that the, like the cheapest thing around? Or was it, was, it, it, it was cheap. It was like sweet. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like a sweet drink. I'll and, tell you, um, when, when I was a kid, there was a thing that we used to have people buy yep. us. It was called Thunderbird. <laughs> and they, they they even had a they even had a poem for it. They said, what's the bird? Thunderbird. What's the price? 50 twice. Yeah. It was a baka bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was like maybe 350 a oh, bottle. Well, don't know? forget. That was inflation. That was you know, I mean, I'm, talk, I'm, I'm talking over 50 years ago here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now, so now you've taken a like an alcohol. Yep. Okay. Obviously, you progressed after that. I did. Um, and it was more with rage. At my house, my house every Saturday, it was like a fight club. Okay. Right? So my my uncles and cousins would get together at my mother's house, and they would put the younger kids to fight for money. So we would fight for $5 a fight, you know? And, really? And whoever started bleeding first, they would lose. And if you cried, you would get hit, you know? And um, back then, I was I was obsessed with candy. I was obsessed with penny candy, because every candy cost a penny, yeah. you know? And I said, um, my mom said, hey, Zeus, if you beat him up, instead of five, I'll give you 10. I said, wow, you know how much candy I can buy with that? So I used that excuse for rage. So I went in the room, started slapping myself in the face, doing push-ups. I come out, and the one I had a fight with my brother. And I just attacked him. I, he was bigger than me, but I was much stronger, yep. you know? And um, I just beat him up severely. But by me fighting my brother, 
put me to hold rage towards them. Mm-hmm. You know, I ended up growing animosity towards them. And um, I just kept drinking and kept fighting yep. in the streets. Even even if it wasn't on the little fight clubs I, we, right. we had in my house. But f- putting us to fight against each other is what really g- grew me to grow a lot of hate towards sure. them. So, so I your rage wasn't, that. so after a while, your rage wasn't just for your family, but when you went out on the street, yeah, you used it yeah. there also. And I was I was recognized in the streets for that, for yep. fighting. You know, yep. I loved fighting. Like, like I just loved the excitement, the extreme. Like, um, And every time I would go and fight someone, the guy had to be bigger than me. You know what I mean? And mm. I would pick fights on purpose. I was recognized on the street, too. <laughs> For running away. <laughs> I didn't run to the fight. So, you know, I, I, you know, th- this is kind of incredible. You know, I mean, uh, I never heard anything quite like this. So you're fighting, you're drinking, you're fighting with pretty much everybody yeah. now. So when do you step over to, you know, cross that line where you started using what you're selling? Um, I started that at 16 years old. 16? At 16 is when I did my first line of coke. Okay. No, 15 actually. Okay. I was 15. And, um, and that's when I first tried it, and it wasn't really my thing. You okay. know what I mean? Sure. I said it, I didn't like the way I felt. Mm-hmm. I liked more drinking. Okay. More drinking, and um, we would... Um, Drinking always led me into fights and doing mm-hmm. multiple things. Then um, I didn't really like that, so I got I tried Special K. Okay. And Special K is what I really like, cause you yeah. put it in my alcohol drink, and oh. it would lead me yeah, yeah. to just rage, okay. you know, in fights, and that's what I love. When yeah. so when I would go to a club, I will guess what Special K, and I will put it in my drink and get crazy, you know. Now tell me something. This fighting that you did, I understand the rage. Yeah. Did you kind of get some personal satisfaction? Out I of did. It? I felt like I was. That's the way I relieved my pain. Okay. You know the the stuff I was holding in. That's how I would release it. Okay. So sure. when I would go to jail and have a bad day, I didn't have drugs. So I would go in somebody's cell and just fight, you know, for no reason. And But that's the way I would release my right, pain towards right. them. Okay. Not being able to get out, looking. I didn't know how much time I was looking at, but that's how I would cope with my skills, you know. Mm-hmm. And fighting was my go-to drug, you know what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah, it was actually, yeah. It was, yeah, it was I the excitement, yeah. you know, and when I would get out, every time I get out, I would get worse with it. So your addiction wasn't just to drugs and alcohol? No, it was to violence, sure. you know, like, because that's what I seen, you know, and and violence was normal to me. Okay. Going to jail and getting out, it was yeah. normal. Tell me something now, I, I read in your bio that you uh, spent a lot of time with gangs. I did. Okay. How did that come about? I started hanging with the gangs around 12 years old. Okay. But I never got down. I mm-hmm. never joined it. Sure. And I never joined it because I've always saw gangs of a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so a friend of mine was like, yo, it's not weakness. It's just friends of ours. And I said, nah, it's different because when you join the gang, it's because you're scared. Sure. You know, it's because you're scared to be alone. Okay. You're scared to fight alone. So I always had boys around me. I was always a popular kid, you mm-hmm. know, so I always had guys around me. But, and if we had to fight, we would go fight. I would help other gangs fight 
even though I wasn't one of them. Okay. Just because my boys was in it, right, you know? Right, right. And um, so I never joined them. So guys would tell me, come on, man, join us. And I used to be like, I don't need you. You guys need me. You know, I was always talking crap at an early age to bigger guys. But I was always cared for by older guys. Yeah. So a lot of people respected me. Does this me. older guy care for you? Definitely. <laughs> He's the one that got me off the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be, the, that'll be the second part of yeah. my show. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the part that we really do like yeah. to hear. We like to hear about the success. But Definitely. go ahead. Go ahead. Hey, yeah. So we just, um, and then one day I'm in DYS and um, I saw this gang bully this other kid. And I jumped in and I started fighting the other guys. And um, that day is the day I joined the gang. Okay. Because I wanted to stop the oppression. Oh. There was guys that was joining gangs just to bully other kids who was never part of a gang. Okay. Never part of, because the jails is a race thing. You know, mm -hmm. people, juvenile, detention, adult, county, state, federal, it doesn't change. I know that when you go to a jail, it becomes a race thing. You stick with your own. White stick oh, with the sure, whites, sure. Spanish. Yeah. So this kid was white. Okay. He had nobody. He was scared, crying all the time. And they went and they tried to bully him for the clothes that he had in his sneakers. Because in DYS jail, you get to wear whatever sneakers you want. And Again when, with the sneakers. Yes. Yeah. It's something personal <laughs> with the sneakers. Think about it this way. A pair of Jordans and sneakers is well, like a thousand dollars. Let me put it this way. I'll bet, to, I'll bet you wouldn't want to steal mine. <laughs> no. Okay. You, you, you can't even donate. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, um, this is the difference is that when... I hated bullies my whole life. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when I seen this kid come out of his room crying with no sneakers on, his face was all red. Um, there was one guard on site, but the guy was always, like, literally in his desk, not paying attention right, to right, us. Right. So I literally ran in the room, and I beat the crap out the guy. You know, I took back his sneakers, and I gave it to the kid, yeah. you know? And um, he's like, now nah, we're going to have problems. I said, whenever you want, my room's right there. But they knew me from the street, so they mm -hmm. know that if he came in with his gang and jumped me, this was going to be an everyday battle. All right, now let know? me ask you a question. Now... Earlier on, you would get in battles for money, for candy, yeah. whatever like that. Now you're battling to save this other kid from being bullied. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems to me like you're almost losing some of the rage or you're displacing it for some kindness to some kid that can't help himself. It was like a win-win for me, yeah. you know, because for me, I love to fight, yeah. you know, um, so it wasn't really a, a bad thing for it. But watching the kid cry that was powerless mm -hmm. over the, over any of them, because this is a kid you just had to push. Right. You didn't have to beat him, and you're going to come and take his, like, the kid was in tears. I mean, he was hurting, and I just couldn't take that. So, right. so I went in, and I... And, Watching me get back his belongings made my day. You want to know some people that are listening to you now? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're going to listen to the beginning of your story, and then yep. you throw in this part here, and I think you're going to catch everybody by surprise by saying, this guy actually has compassion? <laughs> mm. I mean, think yeah. about it. The, the whole part of your story, you were beating brothers and this and that and everything, yeah. like, and now all of a sudden... Uh, you're showing some. Com you're, 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 I understand you're yeah. getting your fighting in, yeah. but you're doing it because you have this compassion to this kid that's getting bullied all over the place. I've always had this heart for someone that was weak. Okay, you know, mm -hmm. always since my childhood. You know, um, 
I know that when I used to hustle and sell drugs in my block, I would buy ice cream for the whole block. The okay. ice cream truck would pull up, and I'll stop him. He'll come right to me, and I'll buy ice yeah, cream for yeah, all the yeah. kids okay. in the neighborhood. So I always had a heart to um, to help the younger kids. Okay. But those that were getting oppressed or bullied, I've always helped. You know what I mean? I, I was always, even though me, I was lost in the streets. Mm -hmm. I was. I was willing to go to war with whoever, sure. but I was always—I always had a soft spot right. for someone that was weak. Tell me something, because uh, we're going to be taking a break in a couple minutes. Right. When did you get to the worst of the worst? The worst, when was your worst of the worst? The worst of the worst for me, I would say, it was at 18 years old. That's when my daughter passed away. Oh my God! I had my daughter who passed away at SIDS, and I just went to war. You know, I took my pain where I was shooting at everybody i was trying to i wanted somebody to kill me or i was going to kill somebody because uh -huh. i didn't know how to deal with the pain and yeah. my daughter died with sids and at that time i was already heavenly in cocaine so mm -hmm. i was doing i was doing close to a half ounce a day where it got so bad where to this day i still got a hole right through my nose okay. i have to go have surgery for it um because that that's what just kept me alive and going. Yep. There was times yep. that I didn't want to go to sleep. Sure. I would stay up for a week straight, selling drugs, making money, yep. partying. And when my daughter passed away of SIDS, I remember my daughter wakes me up. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, my wife wakes me up like at 2 in the morning telling me that my daughter won't wake up. And when I open my eyes, I can see my daughter's head just hanging. Uh -huh. And we went to the hospital. My, I sent my wife so I could stay with my other daughter. And when I got to the hospital, um, the cop, an officer comes out. He's like, you hate Zeus? And I said, yes. He's like, I'm sorry for your loss. And um, when he said that, I snapped. I ran in. There's doctors trying to hold me, officers. I'm chasing the officer around the room. I went crazy. They put me on the floor. Um, this was in Jamestown, New York. Okay. So I, I moved to New York because I had a whole bunch of warrants in Mass. Okay. So I was hiding out up there. And um, <laughs> and when that happened, I just didn't care. I just sure. went nuts, you yeah. know. And yeah. and at that stage, it's where I just um, I just went to war with everybody. I didn't care who he was, you yeah. know, any little yeah. issue. But w when I went to war, many came with me, you know. So it's like I was leading so many guys into this evil world without them knowing what to expect you yeah, know yeah. but i know that if you didn't come with me you was against me you know yeah. so so it was like a whole other rage and i just kept living that life man recklessly okay you know what we're gonna take a couple of minutes catch our breath a bit and then uh i want to know how you and louis hooked up and i want to know when you got to that point where you said enough. And we'll be back in two minutes. Don't forget the lines are open. Don't be afraid to give us a call. Hi there. My name's Phil Leahy, and I do the Empty Chair Show here. And as much as Fran and I have enjoyed doing this show, our real passion is with where it all began, the Circle of Hope, my support group for the families of addicts. I learned a long time ago that dealing with an active addict is just too difficult. So we invite you to join our group, the Circle of Hope. Uh, 
Give me a call, 978-886-2949, and you'll see our banner on the show anyway. And, and give me a call, find out what it's all about. You know, if you don't think you're ready to sit into a group, uh, Fran and I always invite people uh, over to the house, and we sit down, have a one-on-one, and we talk about a plan you'll have to set up, how to deal with someone in active addiction, or, or just give you a chance to vent. So, I mean, if you or someone you know has dealing with a, someone in active addiction, reach out, give a call, take the first step. I promise you that it won't make it easier, but once you understand what it's all about, you'll be able to deal with it a little bit better. So again, 978-886-2949. Just ask for Phil. I'm always available 24-7. Thanks, and we'll see you on the empty chair. Bye-bye. You should have stuck around. We just had a great show while we were on break. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, don't forget, yeah, you want to call in, uh, say hi to Jesus, say hi to Lou. Uh, you know, feel free. The lines are open. And, you know, if you look at the bottom of our, uh, I guess at the top of our screen, uh, you're going to see all of our sponsors. These people are fantastic. Uh, every dime that they donate for their ad goes towards scholarships to get... Uh, people who are graduating from uh, halfway house or something mm. into a good sober living home. We try to give them a month's rent to get them started, and we have just had so, so much success. So we thank all of our sponsors, and any of you cheapskates out there that want to be a sponsor, just uh, give Cole Welch <laughs> a call. All right? Okay, we're back. Uh, all right, Jesus, all right. You you went through a pretty dark period, obviously. Definitely. But uh, obviously, if you didn't get well, you wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. If you didn't get well, we wouldn't want you sitting here. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so what happened to say, or what, what was the driving force to say, you know, uh, I'm going to get well? I would say, um, I remember in my house, up for like, three, four days, you know, snorting coke, drunk, couldn't sleep, kept, it was just a chaser, I just kept chasing the drugs, selling drugs all night long, and Louie would come to my door, faithfully, always in the worst times, mm -hmm. and he would come in and knock at my door faithfully, and I would see him through the window, I'm like, this guy don't stop. All right, one second, Louie, how, what brought you to his house? Where did, uh, how did you hook up with this guy? Yeah, so Jesus, I came across uh, because there's a film that uh, Jesus and I were involved oh, called sorry. Beyond the Wall. Yep, yep. And the filmmaker, uh, they started, Jesus was going to be the central character of this film, and they were filming him at the jail, and Jesus was discharged from the, from the facility. They followed him around for a while, and then Jesus just disappeared. Uh-huh. So the filmmaker... Um, uh, and the uh, sheriff and superintendent over at the Middlesex County House of Correction had uh, reached out uh, to me, and they were just want, were trying to find Jesus. So that's how I came across uh, Jesus, because we went out and we looked for him, uh -huh. and we were able to find him. And so when Jesus and I met, um, I, you know, from the get, uh, realized that there was something wrong with Jesus. He was either using drugs or there was something, you know, 
mentally wrong with him because, uh, first of all, he was missing from this project, mm -hmm. and uh, um, just his whereabouts was unknown. So I tried to uh, offer Jesus help because I knew that he was struggling. So that's so, how we came about. So he became a real pain in the ass to you, huh? Yeah. yeah, I became. Yeah, I followed him around and and wanted <laughs> wanted to get him into treatment, wanted to get him help. Yeah. And so that's how we we were introduced. Yeah. Okay, so with so obviously Lou was one of the driving forces to. Uh, it was. So, okay, how did this driving force get you to? Not, I would say not punch him in the nose <laughs> and get clean. I actually, you know, as much as um, you know, because when you're um, coked up, you're mm -hmm. numb. You don't want to be bothered at that stage. Right. You want to be left alone while you, you while you, you're working security around your house. You know, um, so it was funny because but every time I spoke to Louis, um, whether I was high on drugs, hustling, um, I loved to hear him. Yeah. Because I know that there was hope. Mm -hmm. I know that if he can do it, I can do it. Good. Because he did a lot of time in prison mm -hmm. and. Other people try to reach out to me before, but I never gave him the time of day. But I knew that Louis was sincere and he cared whether I lived or die, you know. And I know that I wanted what he has. So yes. he tells me, yeah. if you want what I what I have, do what I do, yeah. you know. And, uh, this is when you found out what real work was, huh? <laughs> yes, and he was working for Utech back yeah, then. Yeah. That's when we first met, you know, and um, I remember he brought me to the office at Utech when they used to have a small office in downtown, remember? And, um, and then he says, let me know when you want to go get clean. But his main thing wasn't about bringing me to a program. It was more about building a relationship with sure, me to build sure. that trust, mm -hmm. you know. And when we built that and I said, when I'm ready, I'm going to let you know. And the day I was ready, I said, I'm ready, you okay. know. And I went to to a detox and Louis was my, he was my, he was my coping Technique okay. to deal with the program because right. the program was crazy. I wanted I wanted to kill somebody there. Oh day. yeah, everybody you know, that goes in wants to do that in the beginning. <laughs> Are you kidding? And I used to call Louie all the time. I'm ready to kill this dude, you know, because they had this this um, system called the pull up system. And um, so if I left a cup somewhere, someone had to call me out. And we used to have groups at four at six o'clock in the morning. So. I didn't know that if you left the club somewhere, someone was going to pull me up in the morning. Yeah. But so I, was, I wake up for group, and, and, and it started with this guy said, um, I like to pull up Jesus for leaving the cup, his cup in the kitchen counter. And I've never experienced someone telling on me right in front of my face. Yeah, yeah. So I snapped. I said, I jumped up and I yelled at him. I'm like, you punk rat, come outside right now. <laughs> so I walked outside to fight him. But the lady, the director of the program said, um, I can kick you out for aggravated behavior. Sure, sure, you know? sure. And um, I said, so do it. She was like, no. There's something about you that tells me that you're going to succeed well. this program. And I said, I don't know. I'm ready to kill somebody in here. You know? And she's like, go call your sponsor. He'll calm me down. You know, I've never had a sponsor, right, but I right. know Louis was my guidance, you yeah. know, and um, so I called Louis, and Louis would quote me through everything, you know, just mm -hmm. breathe, relax, yeah. Yeah. this is going to happen, you're going to be prepared, it's not easy, you know, and um, he was my strength, while I had none, you know, I was weak, you know what I mean, I was weak, um, 
I the only way I knew how to resolve problems was fighting, and now I can't do that. You know, would you say this might have been the beginning when you maybe discovered you couldn't do this alone? I knew I couldn't do it alone. Okay. I knew that if I didn't have Louis in my life to mm -hmm. speak to, I would have got arrested. Yeah. I was going to kill that kid. You yep. know, and yep. I knew, the, but, but it wasn't just that. I felt like it, I had a different problem every day mm -hmm. because... I'm not using, I'm not drinking, um, I can't fight, you know, so I'm dealing with emotions that I never dealt with, you know, I'm really digging in the root with talking about feelings that I never spoke about, you know, and, sure. but I knew that I had to let it out somehow, but I never trusted to let it out in the group because I never wanted someone to know my weakness mm -hmm. and ever to use it against me, so I've always held up a wall. And you, you know, you know something, Phil. That that uh, a very important part that Jesus has left out is that one of the reasons that um, Jesus got involved in treatment and, and also that we were able to connect was when when I met Jesus. He was a really he was a broken individual. Mm -hmm. Jesus forgets to mention he has six children, and all his six kids were taken away from him during this time. Okay. Uh, his wife was also struggling with addiction. Okay. So when I came into Jesus's life, Jesus was broken. He had just lost all his kids mm -hmm. to, uh, to to DCF custody, sure, sure. and his wife had um, was struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. He was also on probation right. when I met him. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff in his sure. life. So he, yeah. I kind of took advantage of that opportunity because I knew that he was broken and this man needed help. So we definitely hit bottom, I guess, huh? Yeah. So I was. I, I you hit below it. bottom. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I cannot get any lower, man. Yeah. You know, and I was just trying to figure it out as, am I ever going to be sober? Yeah. Am I ever going to be able to maintain sober? Mm. You know, and um, I said, is it possible? How do you even smile without using a drug? How do you even enjoy without having a drink? Like this. You know, because <laughs> that—that's all you knew how that's to do. All, yeah, that's yeah. all. That's yeah, all. I, I said, yeah. what, "What do you do on Fridays when yeah. you can't drink?" All right. Now, <laughs> now I, I know you—you you were saying you didn't like to talk in group because you yeah. were afraid of exposing your weakness. Yeah. When did you find out that speaking was a strength you had? When I spoke to Louis on the phone and I was in the program, and he says, "All that rage you have." You got to let it out in groups. That's the only way mm -hmm. you're going to release it. Because you can't release it with fighting no more. So right. you got to find something different. And when I finally spoke in the group, everyone was like silent, just listening, because I wasn't the one to speak. Right. I, I would just sit there and look mm -hmm. and hope somebody bumped into me or something, you know? <laughs> and uh, just so I can have an excuse to right. get crazy, right. you know? And I wanted, to, I wanted to fight and leave there so bad. But knowing that my kids were in a DCF system, mm -hmm. I had to get them back. You know what I mean? And uh, a week before I let it out, I went to go see my kids at the DCF office. And my son, Andre, I went to give him a kiss um, while I'm putting him in the chair because he wouldn't let no one put him in the DCF worker's chair. So while I'm putting him in the chair, he grabs his toy and starts hitting me in the head with it. Saying, Daddy, how can you let him take me? How can you let him mm. take me? Ooh, that and that destroyed me, man. I felt like somebody was stabbing me repeatedly yeah. and no blood was coming out. 
And all I can say is, I'm sorry, Andre, I'm sorry, you know, and I was so weak with being in that program. I know that I, ha I would be willing to take up anything I had to take up to get my son back. And when I went through the process of dealing with all this, I, um, I got blinded, man. I got blinded by... When I say I got blinded is that I was doing the recovery without God. Okay. Because I didn't believe in God, okay. you know? And I was stuck in step four when it said you got to admit to your higher power yeah. that yeah. you're powerless over your addiction. I said, hell no. <laughs> and I said it just like that in group. I said, I don't got a higher power. I said, I am God, you know? And the guys were Oh, that must have went over big. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't believe in God because yeah. I believed there was a God, mm -hmm. but I wasn't going to accept him. Because of the loss of my daughter. Sure. I can understand You know, and, and my wife did. And that's what changed my wife. So my mm -hmm. wife so was your, the strength. Uh, just to interrupt. So your wife, did she find recovery before you? She did. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. She, um, she found um, recovery. Actually, I found I went into recovery first. Then she came, like, right after. Okay. Like, I would say probably a month. and um, But I was doing recovery, keeping my criminal thinking. Okay. You know, so yeah, I, I, I still I still had, um, I was still into, uh, I wanted to fight. I was still into that evil person, but being sober. So I did recovery without God, and I went back to selling drugs, but not oh. to using. Oh. So I never used again since 2012. Okay. You know, I've been sober, but I went back to selling. After I left the program, probably a year later when I needed to get money, to um, help my wife out, help myself out, because mm -hmm. we're both in programs, you know, right, you know right. doing what we had to do. But I know that my wife was more focused 100% on the kids. I'm more focused 100% on me. Sure. Because I know that I had, I, I've been broken so much and that I needed to focus on myself um, so I can maintain sober, you mm -hmm. know? And I learned that through a guy that said, he says, Jesus, if you was in an airplane and it's you and your son and the mask drops down because the airplane starts shaking and there's only one mask and it's either you or your son, who do you put the mask on? I said, I will put it on my son. He's like, if you did that, you would die. Yeah. Then you can't save your son. Yeah. So you got to focus on you 100%. Yeah. So in order, you put it on yourself to build enough oxygen right. so you can save your son. Yep. Mm. So That's sometimes you need to focus on you before you can help anybody else. Well, and, and, you know, and I, I think that's a good lesson for anybody out there who is in recovery, yeah. early recovery. It's okay to be selfish in the beginning. Mm. It's okay to think about you, your recovery. It's okay to do that. Actually, it's probably required yeah. if you really want to make it. Yeah. After that, the gratitude and everything will come along. Yeah, but, uh, it will. but that, yeah, no, that's a good lesson for anyone who. Yeah. Uh, and it was um, so I knew that I really had to focus on myself because I didn't want to be the type. 
to go up and pick up a 30-day chip every month. Sure. I'm either going to give it my all or I'm not giving it nothing. So I hit the recovery brooks and recovery meetings like I hit the streets okay. when I used to gangbang um, 100% full force. Okay. And when I ran with the streets, if you touch one of my guys, I'll touch 10 of yours. I've always took it to, another, to a whole other extreme. And that's how I did with recovery because I never wanted to relapse or use right. again, you know? So I like, I was in the books, even though I struggled with the steps on having, um, accepting God into my life. Like I was running groups. I would invite Louie. We used to have this group called a hot dog meeting. Mm -hmm. I served hot dogs, remember Louie? I told Louie to come down, you know, and speak. Louie came down faithfully, man, and started speaking in the group. And he was, um, he was my network, man. And mm -hmm. I didn't just build with anybody, but I know that, that his heart was sincere. Okay, mm -hmm. I want to fast forward because I know you and your wife have an organization. Now, you've been clean for nine years? Yep. This How long have you been in recovery? In recovery? Yeah. Um, because I, I'm going to take a wild guess while you were selling drugs and you were clean. <laughs> that probably don't count. Um, I, I would say no. I actually got my year medallion chip while I had like 125 grams of coke in my body. Oh, that's good. I was. Great. I felt uh, <laughs> that must be that must be the 13th step. Yeah, yeah. It was, my yeah you can was, you can sell drugs I mean, as long as you're and, clean. And as they giving me my chip, I touch my pocket for some reason, and I can feel that I just picked up 125 grams of coke yeah. that I had in my pocket, and it's like I was like crushed, but. My criminal thinking, like I said, was yeah. off, man. You yeah. know what I mean? And my recovery, I, I would say about six years. Okay. I've been in solid recovery where where it really helped me, where I accepted God into my life. And this was in prison, in Walpole State Prison. That's where I accepted God into my life. Okay. And I was able to go through the steps right. and follow the steps, right, that yeah. it really works, you know. Um, yeah. And you got to... Admit that you're powerless over your addiction. Sure. Or there's no moving forward, Absolutely. you know? And I know for me, it was Jesus. I surrendered my life to Jesus, and my life was never the same. So Jesus and found Jesus. Amen. Okay. All right. Um, a little bit about your family. What about your brothers, your sisters, whatever? Do you have any kind of connection with them anymore? I do. I don't hang with them, though. Mm -hmm. You know, I plant the seed. You know, I tell them I love right. them. Are and they having problems with uh, addiction too or? one of my sisters just passed away from uh, from, from drinking um and drug abuse um, okay. in manchester and um she um i was before she passed away i kept going over there with my wife mm -hmm. uh, just to go pray for her sure. and tell her let's go to a program i can get you into the teen challenge for women and yeah, providence sure. you know um I, I built some great relationships with walking in ministry sure, that sure. i was able to get people into detoxes and programs with a phone call nice feeling when you do that it's, 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 it's the best a I, I know I, I can relate to that that is the best feeling you in the can't world. accept and when I would invite somebody to a program like I'm talking to my sister she's like no I'm good I don't have a problem yeah you know she would say I'm like you are such a denial she's like you know what I'll talk more about you in recovery if you take me to go get some cigarettes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I take her, right, and I'm driving, and, I, and um, I can just feel she had this big smile on her face like she was happy. Yeah. But I can tell she was hurting. Right. I can tell she was brisk. Like I can see right through her that she's trying to hide behind this smile mm -hmm. when she just wants to cry. Now, how old was, was she when she passed away? Um, she was... 
41. She was two years Ouch. older than me. That was just a couple of months ago. Yeah, a couple yeah. of months ago. That she died I back. actually lost two sisters in six months. Wow. Yeah. You know, back to back. My sister Lucy right. and my sister Wendy. Now, tell me, is your mother still with us? No. My mother, two weeks before I wrapped up my bed, my mother passed away on a Monday. Um, she was on life support. Okay. And um, the superintendent says, um, Jesus, your family's trying to get a hold of you, but they're saying that when you call your wife, you don't call them. And my wife says, you need to go and call your brothers and your sisters. I said, for what? She says, because your mother's in the hospital and um, a machine's breathing for her. I said, listen, if I was out to me, I would unplug the machine. You know, this is a lady where I have no feelings towards her. Okay. The reason that I went and I forgave my mother was because of Louis, because it was part of a plan that Louis had set for me. Sure. Like, he's like, whether you like it or not, it's not about her, it's about you. Yep. But for you to move forward, you got to forgive your mom. Yes. And in the documentary on Beyond the Wall, that's when we went. Well, yeah, we, we, Jesus used to talk to me about his mother, and he would say these stories that, that just blew my mind. You know, how can a mother have a son at 13 years old selling drugs? And, yep. Yep. and, and you know, he told me how he felt about his mother. So I was, um, we, you know, I convinced Jesus to, uh, to visit his mother. So we, I actually drove Jesus to a yep. nursing home okay. where his, his mother was. Um, before he got arrested and went away yeah. to visit his mom, and that's when you know Jesus went in and seen her. Um, he hadn't seen her in a while um, because it, it, I was just blown away that a son had so much hatred yeah. towards his mother. I mean, I didn't know all this stuff that his mother had him selling drugs, right, that right. she was addicted to drugs, that yeah. Jesus grew up seeing all this stuff. You know, so I, I drove Jesus to see his mother. Yeah. Yep. And and I I was in prison, so my wife says, "Hun, you have to call. She's in the hospital." Family's coming over from all over, you know, and um, so I said, no, I'm good. She's like, just do it for yourself. But then I thought about the day I walked in there and um, into the nursery home, and I said, um, I went up to her and I kissed her in the cheek, and I said, even though you was a horrible mother to me, I forgive you, but I do it for me so that I can move forward and I never have to show my kids what you showed me. Yeah. Was that was that the last time you ever seen her uh, alive? Yeah, that was the wow. last time. But if you would have never took me to do that, you never seen I would have been crushed. Right, because now, tell me here too. Now, number one, I don't know your wife, never met your wife, but she sounds like an incredible woman. She's an angel, man. Why don't you? Because we don't have a whole lot of time. Why don't you tell us something about the thing you and her do together? My wife is my strength, man. It, um, when I came out of prison, I was so on fire for God. Where I needed people to hear the gospel. Yep. I needed people to know who Jesus was. So I was out there with my wife. She'll bag up a whole bunch of sandwiches, and we'll go to the streets. We'll give sandwiches to people. We'll pray for them, and I'm in the streets um, doing outreach with my wife, and we kept doing it. So we asked. We saw this outreach program called Leaving the Streets. I mean, called Common Grounds. I said, can I use this room so I can run a support group for men? Mm -hmm. And um, he says, um, he said, let me think about it. I was going to a church. So he spoke to the church to see if they knew who I was. He said, no, that's Jesus. He just came out, but the kid's on fire for God. He was like, I would trust him with a room. So he gives me a key. And in one week, I'm passing out flyers. M my wife goes and makes flyers. 
we have like 10 guys. The next week, there was 50. Yeah. We had like 80, close to 90 guys in a little room, and I'm just preaching to them. My now, testimony. What year would you say this was? This was um, three years ago. Okay. Yeah, great, this was great. three years ago. And um, so if I'm doing this group, um, I'm like, I need a bigger place. You know, I said, because the room's getting greater, you know. So I tell my wife, um, she says that she wanted to cook for the guys for every group. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's awesome, huh? This is how we do it together. You cook the food, you feed the flesh, and I'll feed the spirit with the word of God. <laughs> and that's how we connected. Wonderful. And then God put it in my heart to um, to to find the to separate myself from common grounds and start start a youth a, a youth group. So I saw an empty building, and um, I go over there and I put my hand on the wall and I started praying. And I felt God speaking to me so clearly. He said, give me all that you have, and I will give you plenty of treasures in the kingdom of heaven. So I asked my wife how much, um, how much money I had saved. She was like, we just got our taxes. You only have your truck money. You waited all year to get your truck. So I said, get it all. I'm going to find out who owns this place. So when I go back, I get a call from the city hall. So I get a call from the mayor's office. It says Mayor Florentini on it. Uh -huh. And he's like, the mayor wants to have a meeting with you. I said, I wonder if a warrant popped up, you know, <laughs> because I didn't know why would the mayor want to have a conversation with me. I'm a convicted felon, arrest 98 times, my record is horrible. And he's, he invited me to a meeting and said, Jesus, we want to we work together so that we see everything you're doing in the streets and we want to know that we can work together as a team. I do what I do. But you do what you do in the streets. But this is how we keep the streets calm and clean. So we got a location. Um, taking, um, I found a location for, it was like, um, he wanted like 2500 a month. He came down. I told him how much it was for. So I said, listen, I can't afford that much. But it was missing the ceiling. It was missing floors. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you sure you want this? He's like, the walls are broken. And it was all messed up. I said, listen, you see broken walls. But I see broken hearts, and a lot of broken people are going to come into this when we get it up and running. Mm -hmm. So I went to him. Um, he said, listen, um, come see me tomorrow. Bring me $1,000, first and last, and I'll give it to you for 1000 a month. Mm -hmm. So I took the 2500 I have, and I just gave it to him, signed the lease. Um, I get a call from the mayor that he wanted to make me, he heard about the location. He wanted to make me a big sign outside that said "Leaving the Streets Ministries." That's the name that, that God put in my heart, and um, it was funny because as we created that sign, and every time I'm ready to get my occupancy, they say you need a, a bathroom that is handicap accessible. Right. So everything I did, I kept getting challenged and storms, and I'm getting prosecuted for trying to do the right thing. Well, maybe you should have told the mayor, instead of saying, how about giving me a little help here? <laughs> well, he did. Oh, okay. He did. He, he said, when the inspectors were giving me a hard time, he's like, what's going on, Jesus? So I told him what happened. They're charging me um, $20,000 to do a bathroom, but I can have a plumber, the electrician. I can get it for cheaper if I didn't have to build a huge handicap wrap. He said, don't worry about it. Call me back in 10 minutes. And I call him back. He actually, the inspector called me in two minutes. And he says, um, he's like, it looks like you know big people in big places. He's like, I'm going to go and bring you your occupancy. Oh, <laughs> so he came and brought it. He approved it, yeah. override it. And we just started um, 
serving the youth, serving the broken. Right. We've gotten, we just opened, our grand opening was last year, March 7th. Louis, you remember the grand oh, opening? Yeah, I attended. You, you couldn't even fit another person. It Wonderful. was so packed. Awesome. And um, we've gotten awards two years in a row Great. for volunteer of the year. We, we just got, a, we got four, four awards this year from the state senator. We got one from the mayor again. Um, state senator Zagreb? Yes. She's great. Huh? Yeah, so she gave us a huge award. Yeah, um, yeah we gotta give you. A, we, we gotta give you your plug, Diane. Yeah, she's awesome. She's yeah. amazing. She's actually. Um, I'm in the leads program with her as well. Okay. So the chambers of commerce. So yeah. it's like God has put me in so many places where I would never thought I would be. I sit in tables where every month, where mayor, state tab. You even you even have a van. For your program and we everything, right? We have two right? of them now. There's yeah. two vans. Yeah, so we got two now, vans. Tell me guys to work. Now, if I remember. Hang on a second, yeah, guys. You're... Cole wants to say hi, so why don't you guys put your headsets on? Who? Cole. Cole who? You heard her, right? <laughs> <laughs> hi, Cole. How are you? Hi, guys. Hello, hey, Cole. Cole. What an amazing show. And I'm glad, Jesus, that you're getting to the part about the ministry because that's what I really wanted to hear a lot about tonight. All right. Um, are you doing anything during this time of COVID? Are you still... Are your doors open, and how are you meeting with um, men that need you on the streets? We haven't stopped, actually. We was, um, the our city mayor, he left us open as an essential business because we serve yeah. the community. So since we, um, since the, we opened March 7th, the COVID hit about March 15th right mm -hmm. after. Yeah. So we was out with a whole bunch of youth making masks for the community. We was connected to the emails, um, the mayor's email. So every time there was a need, the mayor reached out to us and we just hit the streets full force. Um, we still have our men's group every Wednesday, our men's recovery group. Every Wednesday, we got a job orientation, job orientation every Thursday. We, we, um, so we send guys to work. We don't only get jobs for guys for convicted felons. We guarantee you the, the, the hire immediately. So they get hired the day of their orientation, and we get them the transportations for two weeks as well. Great, great. Amen. Yep. Amen. God bless you. Like you're an amazing individual. I'm really sorry I'm not there tonight, with it's you guys. Right. And. Uh, I've just been enjoying being on this side and listening, and the three of you are a trifecta tonight. So thank you so much for, for the work that you do. I'm, kind of, I'm working in Havel, too, so any information that you can get me to um, to get around to people, like okay. how would I contact you, how how would I make a for someone over there. Like I didn't realize how big um, gangs are in Havel until most recently. Um, but whatever. So we, we work is with a lot of gangs in Haverhill. Every time somebody gets released from prison, before yeah. before they get released, I get the heads up by Haverhill PD in, in the city Amen. hall. So um, I get to get them into a safe house. We got a, a house where where it's connected to leaving the streets, and we are able to put them in there. Some with funding, if, if some of them don't got the funding, I reach out to churches to get us their the first month's rent. Yep. Um, we, we also have a, a food pantry that we serve 500 families a week, every Monday. And, Amen. And for families that don't got transportation, people that tested positive for COVID, who are quarantining, who, are, who has disabilities, or can't leave the house, or don't have transportations, we have a crew of five of our young adults Adults on Sundays, and they do all the food deliveries right to their house. Wow! Yeah, and that's unbelievable. And that just being the hands and feet of God, and and Amen. I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. 
I'm so blessed that um, Louis Diaz, you know, came into your life and, and, and look who you became. Like, your story was really moving and emotional tonight. And uh, I just can't thank you and your wife enough for all that you're doing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm truly grateful for the opportunity that God gave me. But I know I Amen. was just, I was just tired. I was tired of being tired. And I wanted to do something different. And um, between me and my wife, we do amazing things in the community. And we do um, this show on Thursday nights called Changing Pain. And guys just come up and just share their testimony. You know, they, they're... Um, their pain's not the same, so they use their pain as their motivation to help them move forward in life. So it's a Amen, blessing. brother. Well, thank you so much. And um, Louie and Phil, thank you guys so much for covering um, for me tonight. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I love you guys, and God bless, and thank you again. Love, love you too, Cole. All God right. You See you soon, kiddo. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes. Uh, what I'd like to do, uh, I deal a lot with uh, the loved ones of addicts, parents, spouses, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys, if you had one message to parents to kind of prepare them or warn them what to look for, what would your, what would your message be first, Louis? I would say for a parent that has a, a child, a loved one that's struggling, uh, one of the things that first comes to mind is uh, learning, uh, getting educated, connecting with, uh, with, uh, with a program, with sure. an agency, with individuals that can teach you, mm -hmm. uh, educate you on you know what you what you're dealing with or what you're going to be dealing with um you know getting connected with with agencies that that can walk you through this process and and um and show you how to how to cope with uh with your your loved one that struggles because it, it is so hard it definitely to is. deal it, you know it breaks not just the individual it breaks families apart oh, when absolutely. you don't know how to deal with oh, them oh yes yeah absolutely mm -hmm. now with you let's say Kind of a similar question, but you're a parent. What are you looking for if you have suspicions that your kid may be playing around? What would you warn the parents to say, geez, I'm not sure if he's doing this. How do I know? I would say to do a full inventory on your child to find out her good moods and bad moods. But when you, if you find out that your child is using, to don't attack it with aggression but attack it with love because hate on hate ends up with fire burning. But when you teach them the opposite reaction of what they're expecting, it really shocks them, you know? And I know that when your kid is ready to make that change, you're the first one they're gonna call, you know? So I think, I think love overpowers any aggression or any hate. So if they're struggling, Definitely do your inventory and, like Louis said, really do your research and homework on how you can help them. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to say, you know, parents, especially parents, don't try to do it alone. Uh, and mm. this is where I give a pitch to my family yeah. support yeah. group. Mm -hmm. You know, as I'm sure you saw the thing there. But in all seriousness, if you're not in our locale, uh, there's Learn to Cope, there's uh, Al-Anon, there's all kinds of groups don't try to do it on your own. Uh, a lot of people have been going through what uh, we go through, and, it, and it's just too hard to do on your own. Uh, I'd like to echo Cole, Lou, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for having uh, us. I, I enjoyed Definitely. the interview. 
and uh, I'm just going to say a quick hello to my wife, Fran. Uh, you know, I think everybody, because she used to co-host this show with me, and she's been battling cancer successfully mm. for six years. Uh, we just got our second COVID shot, and nice. in a couple of weeks, we're going to be ready to be semi-human. Nice. So, honey, I'm on my way home. Uh, and uh, to everybody else, I hope you enjoyed the show. It will be on our we- uh, on our Facebook page. You can watch it, uh, reruns or whatever like that. And that, Lou, as always, it was nice to see you. Nice oh, working with you again. Great to have you back. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, we're going to say, uh, we're going to wrap it, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.